Making a very welcome return to the podcast in this episode, it is Dr. Nicole LaPera, aka the Holistic Psychologist. That's incredible. And I'm, I'm really happy even that you're beautifully using the word regulate. Because again, this is another area where we hear stories like you and I are both sharing, right? We're able to catch ourselves and shift our state into much more calm, grounded presence or whatever it is, you know, in however many hours or however long of the day it was. This title really was born out of my own individual journey in relationship and a lot of what I would see when I was working. I did a lot of couples, a lot of family work. As long as I can remember, I've been very interested in individual psychology, though also in dynamics between people. And while, again, we think we're being a selfless, great, compassionate partner, over time, what ends up happening when we don't, as the saying goes, right, put our oxygen mask on first, or at least our, factor ourselves in to our relationships, not only are we going to carry a host of unmet needs, not only are we likely going to overstep our physical, our emotional boundaries time and time again to show up in service of someone else, but we just don't have the bandwidth to, what's going to happen within our relationships more problematically is we're going to get really resentful. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. My guest today is Dr. Nicola Perra, also known to her 11 plus million followers online as the Holistic Psychologist. And I am delighted to say that she is making a welcome return to the podcast following her first visit back in 2021. Nicole is a trained clinical psychologist, having studied at Cornell, the New School for Social Research and the Philadelphia School of Psychoanalysis. Her books, which all neatly begin with how to, include <laughs> how to do the work, how to meet yourself and the latest edition, how to be the love you seek, which became an instant Sunday Times bestseller. When she started to share her insights on her Instagram, which at the time was an audience of a few hundred, her intention was to share the content she had needed on her own healing journey for anyone else who might need it. Those few hundred followers have turned into millions because Nicole tapped into something that conventional thinking around mental health wasn't really addressing, the disassociation between the mind and body. It was a framework that meant people who were often diagnosed or labeled were only then given the support of managing symptoms or issues rather than really being given the keys to overcoming them, which is a path Nicole wanting to guide people towards. In her latest book, How to Be the Love You Seek, Nicole offers a new path to healing our relationships by tapping into the power of the heart. Using the latest in scientific research, this book shows us how to recognize our dysfunctional patterns, identify how and when they started in our earliest relationships, break painful cycles and build security and share compassion with ourselves and others. If your relationships are draining, stressing you out, or if you're putting your needs after everyone around you, then this really is a must read. But buyer, beware. 
I read the first chapter and felt the uncomfortable pang of realization more than once, understanding quite how some of how I show up in the world has been shaped by things I've either chosen to forget or learned over time to accept slash ignore. Confronting is probably the best word to describe it, but Nicole would never leave you hanging. And the book is packed with useful insights and practical means by which to undo unhelpful patterns, remold painful dynamics and show up in the world as an authentic, unapologetic version of you. What an absolute pleasure to welcome you back to the podcast. Nicole, how are you? Oh, Emma, I'm incredible. I have chills over here from that beautiful <laughs> introduction, the resonance with it. Thank you again for having me. An absolute pleasure. And it's just, it's so incredible to see uh, what you've been doing since we last spoke. So let's just kind of bridge that gap a little bit because it has just been the most phenomenal, I mean, you've gone viral. <laughs> I was actually trying to figure out when you were giving the date and locate me in time and what that yeah. must have looked like and felt like, quite honestly, since the moment I created the account, The Holistic Psychologist, it just feels to me to be uh, both a whirlwind and a kind of alignment back into mm-hmm. I, I what I truly now understand is, is my purpose and my passion here um, to really understand some of these topics, to speak on them, to be of service to the community in the way that I'm given the opportunity. So it's, it's been grounding, I think in the same, in the same sense of being, being a whirlwind and being really emotional. And I mentioned in the introduction that all of the books kind of neatly start with how to, which is brilliant (laughs) because I mean, it really is, that's what the books do, but I wonder what the draw was to how to be the love you seek, how that became the inevitable next step. This title really was born out of my own individual journey in relationship and a lot of what I would see when I was working. I did a lot of couples, a lot of family work. As long as I can remember, I've been very interested in individual psychology, though also in dynamics between people. And what I continue to see is so many of us and feel in my own life, so many of us are desperately looking to feel love, to feel connected in our relationships, to be authentic yet we don't know how. And so titling this book, How to Be the Love You Seek, for me, illustrates the unlearning that I've had to do that I hope readers take away. All of the different, even the way you were describing your reading of the introduction, all the different ways we've learned to relate to ourselves and to others and even define what love is. For so many of us is based in our earliest childhood environments where we didn't have the emotional attunement we didn't need it. We didn't have the safety and the security. So we just, like you mentioned yourself, we've adapted in certain ways. So really embodying love ourselves, being that safe, secure, authentic place of self-expression. And then what I truly believe love to be is gifting that, that safety and the security for those that we're with or those that we cross on their path um, to be themselves. Mm. And I think it's, it's really interesting, isn't it? The way that you describe it, uh, people thinking that they're maybe not deserving of love, that they show up in love isn't given to them or somehow there's a block not realizing that it's not something that's being withheld by others it's something that you're not allowing to happen to you and actually when you realize that the call is coming from inside the house (laughs) even though that's horrifying and you might need to just go and sit quietly and have a sob about that you can then think well if I'm the problem in inverted commas then I am therefore the solution so there is I can do work to get to a place where I want to be. For me, that was the the most difficult realization to have. The complaint that I would always voice to my partners, to my loved ones, was how emotionally disconnected I felt. You're not meeting my emotional needs. I don't feel the way I think I should feel. I feel lonely even though I'm in a relationship. Mm. It took me 30, 30 years, really, 
to be able to look myself in the face and to see how that habit of emotional disconnection really did live within me. Not having that emotional attunement in childhood, I started to disconnect um, from my emotions, from my physical body. And I was holding everyone else accountable for the disconnection that I was really creating. And then I think like many of us, like a self-fulfilling prophecy, I continue to validate, right? This idea that I'm not worthy to have this type of emotional connection because I was continuing to create circumstances where I wasn't present enough to the support that was available or I wasn't allowing the support that was available in. So before I knew it, I continued to confirm, yes, you're not worthy of this type of emotional connection. And onward, I would go to try to find, as I think many of us do, this more ideal partner that won't create the same feelings until, of course, we have that hard look in the mirror. Mm, there's a the the way that RuPaul, I don't know, I haven't watched Drag Race for a while, but the thing that RuPaul always used to say was, if you can't love yourself, how in the hell can right. you love anyone else? And I used to think, yeah, that makes sense. But <laughs> hearing it, understanding it and actually feeling it and seeing how it shows up are two completely different things, I think. because it's, And I think that's what I really took when I was reading the book and what I find sometimes, especially with your tweets, which is so thorough and so robust. I can't, there's, they're watertight. They are so factually correct. You can point something out that makes me think, gosh, I need to go and do some work or <laughs> I should really think on that. And I can't find, I can't find anywhere to get in and disprove you, <laughs> which, <laughs> which is great from your perspective, but it, it just goes to show how much, uh, well, how proven what you're saying is and how actually you can steer us towards the changes that we want to make. I think too, when I even think of, I very much love RuPaul and I haven't watched Drag Race in a while either. Though this idea of love yourself, you know, the way the way that it's professed, like once we love ourselves, we love someone else. I think some of us confuse what that action of love even is. And I think instinctually we think it's all of just the positive, warm feelings, the things that we like about ourselves, those beautiful self-care days where we're indulging ourselves. And where I've come to learn is love is really more of an acceptance of all of myself. So allowing me to see all of the different attributes or, you know, aspects of my personality, all of the pain that I'm carrying and showing up in presence and in service and intending to that is what I think is truly meant when we say we can't love another until we gift ourselves with that presence, that acceptance and that compassion. And then when we do it with ourselves, then I think we have the ability to see and create that safety and the security that I was mentioning earlier to allow someone else to be just fully present to us, to show us all of their authenticity. And again, I think when we're only looking for the positive and when we limit ourselves or continue to suppress, as so many of us have learned to because of those early relationships where we didn't have the safety and the security, or maybe we were directly or indirectly told certain aspects of us ourselves emotionally not to show, of our self-expression that was inappropriate for whatever reason, I think, again, that was another version of learning that love is seeing all of and being in full self-expression as opposed to just, as many of us do, continuing to curate the parts that were validated. Mm. And I think as well, when I was reading this, I was trying to look at it through as many perspectives as, as I could. Somebody who isn't in a relationship, somebody who is in a relationship, but that relationship is, isn't satisfying. And I was thinking about that that early chapter where you talk about the ways in which you can show up the fawning or the, the basically the, the survival modes that you go into based on those early relationships. And I think what I thought was, you might think that you're doing 
quite well. Correct me if I'm wrong here. You might think, well, at least I'm in a relationship, but you could read that first chapter and then think, oh, oh no. Oh, I see. I, I now have a new perspective on this. And that to me was what I found really confronting. I think a really confronting truth, which is based in a lot of the conditioning that we've received, not only within our own families, I think society, society has played a bit of this, which is this idea that if we are of service to another, all of the caretakers of the world, you know, those of us that pride ourselves in being selfless, right, always worrying, extending our attention outward, attending to the, being attuned first and foremost to the wants and needs of those around us, and then immediately tending to them and putting our own needs on the back burner. I think this is another area where a lot of us, and as I, I did for a while, I used to think and celebrate myself to be what I thought was a very compassionate, caring partner because I never, I tried to not be a burden to bring emotional stress to the table. I tried to, I was very much a people pleaser who deferred to the wants and needs of those around me, whether it was something emotionally that they needed for me at the time and I didn't have the bandwidth or something as simple as, well, where, where do we want to eat for dinner? Or where do we want to go this weekend? I would always defer to whatever someone else wanted or needed, kind of putting this gold star on my back. Well, I'm a good partner and I'm being a good daughter, I would think too, within my family, never adding any more stress to the already overwhelming stress mix that was happening in my childhood home. And I've come to realize that this is another area where a lot of us need to do some unlearning because what this is, this hypervigilance always tending to the external world, often at the expense or neglect of our own wants and needs at one time, as it did in my life, often it played a survival. It was a survival mode for us. There was value and connection that we were able to create or maintain or threats and stress that we were able to avoid by noticing when mom or dad was maybe going to blow up and you know, extinguishing the, the threat or the stressor that might cause that eruption. Or for me, it was a little less explosive it was noticing that my mom wasn't really emotionally present unless <clears throat> I was performing, unless I was achieving. So always being attuned to her attention and my ability to stay connected in this very performance-driven way. And while, again, we think we're being a selfless, great, compassionate partner, over time what ends up happening when we don't, as the saying goes, right, put our oxygen mask on first or at least our, factor ourselves in to our relationships not only are we going to carry a host of unmet needs, not only are we likely going to overstep our physical, our emotional boundaries time and time again to show up in service of someone else, but we just don't have the bandwidth to, what's going to happen within our relationships more problematically is we're going to get really resentful of the people around us. Because anger, a form of resentment, is a very natural emotion that happens when our needs are going unmet, when our boundaries are being violated. What we don't see is that we're doing it to ourselves. So instead we project it onto our partners or onto our loved ones who we just think in our mind, I just wish they wouldn't need me so much. And in reality, when we, when we do kind of take that hard look and see the role we're playing and not allowing our needs to be present, understanding of course that that was an adaptation that kept us safe at one time, now we can learn some new tools and some new choices to reverse those dynamics. It's really upending your understanding, isn't it? Because I too am a recovering people pleaser. And the, I think the biggest revelation for me was understanding that my people pleasing was manipulative. And there I was trying this whole time to look like a lovely, kind, selfless, wonderful friend who you could always rely on. But actually I was being manipulative 
I didn't realize I was being manipulative at the time, but it was manipulative behavior. Absolutely. And I think what we're doing when we're people pleasing, the language that comes to mind for me is we're managing perception of us, right? We have this ideal image that we want to present, or maybe this ideal relationship dynamic that we want to present. And when we're not telling the truth to the other person, because we're more worried about upsetting them or disappointing them. So we're continuing to, to modify our truth or to suppress it or to wear our mask and presenting ourselves in one particular way. We are not being authentic. And I would agree that that's a form of perception management is, is a form of manipulation. I've seen many ways. Um, one of the things I've learned when I, cause this is a journey breaking these habits. And I think this is another important, important fact to speak, if you will, I think a lot of us think, oh, once I have this insight, I'm a people pleaser. So now I'm going to, Nicole told me that my wants and needs are important. So here I go to <laughs> honor my wants and needs. And it's it's much more difficult than that. As I talk about in the book, these habits are neurobiologically wired into us. Mm-hmm. We feel threatened. We feel unsafe. We don't feel like ourselves when we step out of these very repeated habitual patterns. So saying that to say that the journey is difficult. As I'm starting to advocate more, be more assertive, stand in that space of what I want and what I need, another way I've learned I can be manipulative is by not saying it directly, is by either having this idea that people should just mind read what I want or what I need so I don't have to say it, convincing myself out of communicating at all, or if I am brave enough to step past that belief, because that's not true. No one can, I mean, in childhood, it was our parents' very enormous tasks to try and attune to our wants and needs when we could not speak them. In adulthood, we need to tell the people directly what we want and what we need. But now I find myself, even to this day, in this little kind of space of I can't say it directly. I can indirectly or be passive aggressive hint. Oh, I wish someone would do this for me. It would be nice if I could have this type of support instead of just saying, hey, can you do this for me? Hey, this is the type of support that I would need in this moment. So it's, I think, another form of manipulation when we're being indirect, when we're being passive aggressive, when we're hoping that people get our cues or try to, you know, kind of manipulate or indirectly communicate our cues. And then we get so upset when the other person doesn't receive them and show up as we wish them to. Yes. And as, yeah, as somebody, as a people pleaser, I think that I assume people can read my, read my mind because in the past I actually got quite good at reading others. I can sense, I could sense, I know exactly what's about to happen. So I'm heading it off at the pass and everything's going to be fine. Yeah. yeah. And that level again of attunement at one point, I would imagine Emma was, was incredibly valuable. There was a need because in childhood, I want to go back to this other physiological or developmental reality. We're born underdeveloped, our nervous system develops until our 20s, and we're born completely dependent. We can't take physical care of ourselves as human infants. So what that means is we need relationship. And as maybe some of the listeners have heard say, humans are interpersonal species, or even just thinking about our development, right? It wasn't one individual that allowed us to become the species that we are. It was individuals banding together in groups, relying on other people, not only for division of labor, for emotional support. And again, in childhood, our nervous systems need the nervous systems of those around us to help us regulate ourselves. So belonging is a universal human need that exists throughout the entirety of our lifetime, not just only in this childhood, you know, kind of time and space. 
So being attuned to the environment around us to secure whatever version of caregiving that was available to us, modifying ourselves was our best survival plan. If we could be attuned to what our caregiver, you know, how we needed to show up or, or be in any given moment to ensure that they would come back and continue to care for us in some way, we would do that modifying. And so that kind of external orientation being attuned, I think a lot of us have that. We can be really sensitive to the slight shifts or changes in people's energy or in their nonverbal communications. And then I think it's quite natural. We all live from this kind of self-referential uh, referential or self-focused way of living. If we've had this experience, we assume everyone else has had the same experience, or if we can be attuned in this way to someone's cues, we assume that everyone else can be that similarly attuned. And that's just not the reality. Mm, not at all. And you touched on something there that I'm really glad that you brought up because I would love to unpick it a little bit with you. And it's about this idea of someone reads one of your tweets or an Instagram post or picks up one of your books and says, well, Nicole says I'm this, so now that. And really what I'm talking about is labeling because it does seem as wonderful as it is that we have broadened the vocabulary and we talk so much about mental health now and all of the things that go hand in hand with what we're discussing. I have seen, and I'm sure you may have observed this too, that sometimes people will wear a label and it almost plants them to the spot. I am codependent, therefore. I am hypervigilant, hyper-independent, therefore. Whereas I've always felt that a label is great because at least you can go somewhere from there. It's like, well, I can overcome that. But I want to see, I'm curious to know if you've observed that and how you can encourage somebody who might pick up that book and feel labeled to then be able to move forward, move away from that label. I agree. I think to some extent, Emma, labeled language gives us a point of not only self-understanding can allow us to feel less alone, right? If we have this label applied to us, I'm like, oh, this is a category. There's others that have this similar experience because- Something that I have learned, especially now as I connect with so many people from around the world, one of the, the secret concerns that many of us have that only continue to perpetuate this idea that we're unworthy and unlovable is this belief that no one else is having a similar experience, which is why I really kind of broke down all of the conditioning that I was taught not to share my own personal journey and my clinical training. And I believed it to be very important to share that because there are so many people, especially like me with a doctor you know, in front of my name that have this perception of what things must be like for me. So if I can be one now of many, I think other clinicians or people that have titles beginning to share their more honest individual truth, I think it does relieve this idea that we're alone. So labels, I think to some extent, categorize us, give us understanding, join us together with others. So you said something really beautiful. And I think it illustrates the shift then from allowing a label to be the entirety of my existence or my identity and allowing a label, as you beautifully put it, to be the starting point. I have somewhere to start now and I can shift and change. And I do agree. I think a lot of us wear our roles as our identity, our labels as our identity. And even for many of us, um, for me, one of the labels that I had worn for decades was this idea that I'm anxious. I'm anxious for as long as I can remember. I had a lot of anxiety in childhood. I had panic attacks throughout my 20s. What I'd been taught in school was anxiety was one of those things that you just have or you don't have it. 
ultimately, if you have it, as I did, as I saw in my family members, I would have it forever. And it was very limiting for me to not truly understand, even going back to this idea of holistic and including the body, to truly not understand what underlies or is often a contributing factor to the natural experience of anxiety. Because with that limitation, thinking it was just something genetically that I was given and I didn't have the possibility then of changing it, learning holistic science and the body and the nervous system and imbalances that cause anxiety that can, of course, last a lifetime until we change, right? That allowed me to open that door for the possibility for it to be a, be a beginning point for me, not to shame myself, not to even just ground myself into that identity as I'd done for the decades prior, but to say, hmm, can I actually create change in this area? And what I've learned and then what brought me online to begin to speak so globally about this was that it can. There is so much. And so I'm while I will give within this book, within all of my work, I'll give helpful ways to categorize. And another area I see this and I have a bit of caution and I want to just end with this the suggestion that change is possible in areas of attachment. Attachment research is so well, well researched now. There's so much information out there. I'm imagining many listeners might even know what their attachment style is. Am I anxious? Am I avoidant? Right? Am I disorganized? A combination of the two. Am I safe and securely attached? I've met very few of those people. So congratulate you if you are listening and you are one of those, but it's at the ready. And I think again, while attachment styles can be a helpful starting point as we're both in agreement, Another area that I get concerned is that people have this idea that that's going to be my attachment style forever, that I can't go from anxious or avoidant or disorganized, anxious, avoidant into secure. And while attachment style has been the habitual pattern or way we've learned to attach or connect with others, there can be incredible change in that area as well. So while I will give some version of categories or ways to give language to our experience. It always typically comes with a caveat that these aren't end-all, be-all, identity-based circumstances, that change is possible. And one of the takeaways I think that I hope for all of my work to be is less of an emphasis on what someone else says, what the book says, what the category says, and more of an emphasis or a return to our own individual instinctive knowing and unique individual diverse self-expression. Because while we can somewhat relate to some people's similar experiences, when it comes down to it, we are all unique individuals. And I think the more we learn to honor that in ourselves and in each other, the more we're able to create interdependent relationships. 100%. I think the way that I like to talk about it on this show is that um, when you get a label or when you get a diagnosis, or when you understand something about yourself, it's like, you know, when you go to a big mall and you have no idea where you're going, you don't know what way is up, down. There are so many different shops and you have no idea how to get to where you want to go to. And it's like when you get a label or when you understand something about yourself, it's like standing in one of those in front of one of those big maps and you've just got the you are here and you are the mall <laughs> and all of the shops are your little all of you. But at least it tells you where you are and it gives you a sense of where you need to move to get to where you get to where you want to get to. And that to me is what's really empowering about this space. And so it can be somewhat disappointing, I think, sometimes to see it not having that effect and people just wearing the label. So I'm glad that we've discussed that because I think it's really important. And furthermore, I think 
it's uh, I know you've got so many millions of followers online. No one is experiences, experiencing this alone. No one is weird for having these feelings, because if they were, then you would still have a few hundred <laughs> followers. But the fact that you don't means that we're all having, as you say, somewhat of a common experience. That was the biggest relief, honestly, for me, because I would be lying if I said that there wasn't a lot of fear when I decided to to make, create, and use a more public platform or experience like social media to you know, share myself because my field was telling me not to. My own conditioning, always worried about upsetting, disappointing what others would think, that people pleaser was telling me not to. And there was at that time in my journey, as I was sharing earlier, for a very long time, I was feeling so lonely and disconnected emotionally because I wasn't able to be my authentic self in any of my relationships, personal or professional. By that point in my healing journey, I'd become much more comfortable and even aware of who I really was and how it was that you know I wanted to, to choose to show up in the world. And I was still, if I'm being honest, feeling a bit lonely. This time though, because as I think this is another reality that we struggle with, the path of change and even kind of connects to this idea of identity, we wear identities or roles in relationship. And as we begin to understand ourselves, to see, I love your map analogy, where we are on the map and use that understanding to create change, to begin to make new choices that better allow us to be in our authentic self-expression. What naturally often happens is our relationships change. We do begin, and we want to celebrate the beginnings of showing up differently in our relationships, of shedding some of those identities that were based out of what we needed at one time and how we had to adapt and are now being more grounded in our authentic self-expression, our wants, our needs, our thoughts, our desires, our interests, our purpose, our passion. And that, I think, for a lot of us, who began the journey feeling lonely and now we're feeling lonely because we've walked through all of these difficult moments of showing up differently in our relationship, embracing all of sometimes the reactions that we get from other people, maybe the separation. I've separated from a lot of relationships that I thought I would carry throughout a lifetime because they were no longer aligned for me. They did not fully allow me to be in my authentic self-expression. And so I was back a different version of loneliness now, though a much more empowered one, one that was grounded in knowing the type of relationship that I was looking for. And that's what then inspired me to walk through all of the concerns and worries about going and being myself on social media to actually do it. Mm -hmm. And what I was met with and why I kept signing on, if I'm being perfectly honest, Emma, I was met with resonance, people from even outside of where I was living at the time, which was Philadelphia, people from around the world who were offering me that same healing realization that I too am not alone, that there were so many people that were feeling and in desiring of authentic relationships and were able to see me clearly for who I was and accept me and want to hear more and more from me and want to, you know, connect with me in the comments. And so that for me was such a gift, remains such a gift. One of the reasons why now um, I shifted from doing individual work into a community membership self-healer circle was truly understanding and living how healing and important community, especially even virtual community for those of us who don't have access to communities right outside of our physical locations, how necessary that is for us as we heal. Mm. Are you, um, this made me think, are you a little bit like the Penn and Teller 
to magic? Are you the pen and teller to uh, psychology? Basically showing how the magic trick was done. Was oh, that I was like, how sh- <laughs> was that how it showed up? Was that why there was a little bit of pushback from the firm, if you like? I, you know, I think for a lot of reasons, I think the simple way that I understand anything is that change is hard. It challenges, right? And just for the clinicians, their identity, the way they were working, their beliefs about themselves, perhaps. I mean, because I would be lying. When I read this information for the first time, I was like, wow, good for these people, right? Not for me. Some people have a different reaction, down with these people, right? You're don't, don't, this is incorrect, wrong, because it challenges me, what I think, what I know, how I'm showing up and maybe practicing in the world. And while we can change, I'll I'll say this like this often because it's so powerful of a reality, our nervous systems prefer those habitual patterns, right? They prefer knowing that map and only that one side of the map because when they look at all the other pathways or hallways they could walk down, all of the unknown and uncertainty and and threat that could be present there, even if someone's telling you there's a pot of gold on the other side of it, go find it, it will activate our nervous system's threat detector because we don't yet know. So we prefer even the predictable. And this, I think, applies to some of the kickback that that I received in the field. Just it was new information because when I met the information, it was greatly new. It was not what I was learning in school at that time. And... Um, I do think that there are some concerned about, you know, that come from a much more of a gatekeeping mentality. I'm very focused on accessibility because I'm very acutely aware of how global the community is and how a lot of the individuals that are within it don't have access to this information in the countries in which they live, to the helping support or professional in the countries in which they live. And I do know that with information, of course, it's not the whole journey. Like I said, community and connection is so incredibly important, though I know the access to the information is playing a foundational role in an individual's ability to create change. So I will always be the first person. While, yes, there's books and memberships and things that you can purchase, I will every day still be talking about these same topics free of charge to make sure that these conversations are being had. And I do think that um, some people in all pro- in all professions, not just even in my own, come from a much more of a protective, what will that mean for me, my livelihood, right? How safe is it? This is something else I get, I get offered quite often, the question of, is it safe to put information in individuals' hands? My answer to that is always, we live in an information age. There is information out there. What I think is a better approach, a much more empowering approach is to teach and empower individuals how to use their own discretion and instincts and not just to diminish it with this idea that this person, like I was sharing earlier, has the answers that you need and only this person and you have to even outsource your inner knowing. Because I think a lot of people have done that for a long time and have squashed down their own instincts and felt gaslit even by people who didn't fully understand their experience or who weren't willing to listen to their experience. So I think a much more empowering model is teaching people how to tune into their own instincts because I don't think information is going anywhere. I think it's probably only going to continue to increase at astronomical rates really into the future. So by continuing to say, oh, this information can only talked about in this context, I don't think that that's the viable solution. 100% agree. And you've touched on two things there that I'd really like to ask you about. The, f- the first is just the observation about change, somebody deciding to change. So picking up this book, or any of your other books, all available at great booksellers. 
Actually, it's a real act of bravery, I think, because if you pick up that book and put it in your basket, how to be the love you seek, you're acknowledging that you currently don't have the love that you would like. And so you're acknowledging and accepting that you want what is at the end of that book. And that and that doesn't happen magically. It is going to be work. And I even you talk about it and I mentioned in the introduction, it's a healing journey. It is a journey. And would you say it's a recovery and that that recovery is not linear? Nicole and I will be right back after this short break. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You talk about it, and I mentioned in the introduction, it's a healing journey. It is a journey. And would you say it's a recovery and that that recovery is not linear? I would absolutely say the words that come to mind for me are recovery and reconnection. Because authentically, we're all whole. We're all worthy. We're all lovable. Um, Our bodies, even, we have all of these physiological mechanisms to maintain a balanced homeostasis or a grounded presence with all of our systems allowing ourselves to do that. And of course, if I'm imagining listeners listening to me, well, I don't feel my, my life isn't, my body isn't, you know, in that state right now. Mm-hmm. I do believe it's because of, you know, circumstances, adaptations we've made to those circumstances that have caused underlying imbalances. So I'm by no means trying to minimize very real physical, emotional symptoms and dysfunctional cycles in our relationship and all of the pain and suffering that they bring because that's real, though it's not an indicator or it's not representative of our inherent lack of worthiness. So I truly believe that the journey is is much more of returning back, of reconnecting with our true, more authentic self, of then creating alignment in that, which then you know brings up to when we become aware, especially of difficult things, I know that I had very well-meaning loved ones point out different perspectives that ultimately have allowed me to have a new self-awareness and then the ability to use that awareness to create change, that those are the two steps I think that we all need to go through. Become aware of what we're doing or not doing or the habits and patterns that are coloring our lives, step one, so that we can make new choices, create change in those areas. And when you say bravery, not only is it difficult to to challenge our status quo because our nervous system doesn't want us to do that, it will resist us building that bridge from insight into action. Some of the truths and awarenesses and things that we're becoming more present to, especially emotionally, are very painful, Mm. right? We don't just welcome with open arms some of these realities. So many of us, especially as adults too, when we know we had suffering in our childhood, 
it's so much easier to say, well, that's back then. I don't want to open that door again. It's too painful. I'll be overwhelmed. Mm. So I really do. And I'm happy you offered that at celebration point in a lot of ways, Emma, because it is courageous to become really present to what it is and how it is we're participating in the world we're creating around us, especially within our relationships. And then in terms of the nonlinear nature, that resistance to change will be ever present. So I could sit here and profess, right? I need emotional connection. It's I'm not a burden. I can be open and honest about directly, but what I need emotionally in any given moment, yet there are still date moments to this day where that desire to be in that familiar past, confirming that I'm just as emotionally alone as I, you know, as I thought I was. I actually had a moment yesterday with my partners here in the home where I was feeling very emotional after this entire week of book tour. All of the emotions were so high for me. And I had this idea that I didn't have anything planned and we were going to recreate a Thanksgiving yesterday. Um, and we were going to make a nice meal and spend some time together in presence. And I was so dysregulated from travel, from all of the energy of all of even exciting energy of all of the opportunities that I had present over this past week that, and these are the moments when we're stressed, that it's going to be so much more difficult to continue to maintain these new choices when we're much more likely to return to that familiar past. So I woke up irritable yesterday morning. Before I knew it, I caused a, a fight, essentially a conflict within the relationship. And then I tried to lock myself, which I actually did for about five minutes. And then I came out of the bedroom, lock myself away in my bedroom only to confirm that the day I want it and need it, presence and emotional connection, I don't get what I want and what I need it. Meanwhile, my partners were present and available and desiring of present time with me and emotional connection. And I was the one who returned to that familiar past. So I just like to share all of these moments that I continue to struggle with because it's not linear. That drive to be in the way we know ourselves to be, to validate all of these deep-rooted beliefs of un unworthiness will we'll carry that with us. What is different now and what did shift over the course of the day is I was able to acknowledge with some loving reflection um, offered to me that that is exactly what I was doing I was able to take a couple moments and ground myself back in my body. And I was able to then show up in presence for the support that was available. And that's the most empowering shift is I was able to see it, become conscious in, in the moment in real time after a couple moments of backfalling. And then I was able to begin to make those new choices again. That's huge. That's yes. so huge. And I think as well, again, for, for me, my uh, issues have been with depression and anxiety mainly, and also food. But let's just pick on the depression and anxiety for now. <laughs> and basically, if there is a bad day that shows up, exactly as you say, I wake up and there's a funk, I'm off, and it could go downhill very, very quickly. It will only last a day now, or half a day. And even though I'm bummed, I'm really cross that it showed up, a little bit like you're saying, what I like to do is think, well, that's proof that I can regulate at least. And I can regulate within a 24 hour window. Yay. That's progress. That's incredible. And I'm, I'm really happy even that you're beautifully using the word regulate, because again, this is another area where we hear stories like you and I are both sharing, right? We're able to catch ourselves and 
shift our state into much more calm, grounded presence or whatever it is, you know, in however many hours or however long of the day it was. I think a lot of us, right, we, we hear this as a possibility and then we shame ourselves when we're not able to do it quickly. And regulate really means, kind of even going back to where we began this conversation, our body's ability, our nervous system in particular's ability to regulate. This is not just where we affirm that we can do this, right? Give ourselves the loving mantra in the moment, even just intellectually know what we have to do. These are the consistent practice of teaching our body a learning that many of us did not have in childhood, a learning of how can I become stressed? How does my body become stressed with my muscles tensing, tensing, my breath quickening, maybe my heart rate elevating, and then physiologically through intentional choices that we can begin to make, relaxing, releasing our muscles, slowing and deepening our breath, which will then downshift our heart rate and practicing teaching our body how to develop what this is called as stress or emotional resilience so that you will begin to see over time your body's ability to really simply go from stressed out or upset, having an emotional reaction because huge learning for me was that emotions just aren't thoughts in our mind or you know beautiful labels that we put on our, their actual physiological mood state shifts in our body, in our, in our hormones, in our neuropeptides, in our sensations in this way? And how can I then teach my body time and time again to go from stressed and upset back into calm and grounded presence? And it is worth celebrating as you start to notice that window of time, what would last for some of us have lasted a lifetime, then drop down to a couple months, even maybe some of us discovering that our personality isn't one that is always depressed or always anxious, having a glimmer of a moment where we don't feel that. I really want to start with that much more expansive shift first because I thought all of my moments were anxious and I thought all of them would be until I taught my body how to downshift from the very natural experience of anxiety when it was having and living for decades for me in that stress experience, giving myself one moment where I didn't feel that. And then we lessen that even more, right? To a couple months, a couple weeks, couple days, and a couple hours. And you know, naturally, we can teach our body how to bounce back because the goal isn't to, nor is it possible, to avoid stress and upset. Not in our lives as humans, not in our relationships, for sure. What the goal is is to develop develop the body's ability to be resilient to the natural stress that will happen, so that we can be calm and grounded, regardless of what's happening or not happening around us. Is this where the connection, this book very much links to the heart and a lot of uh, talk about uh, stress and anxiety might talk about physiology in a different way. But this for me was really the first time I had felt the heart was a massive part and a massive piece of this puzzle. Learning about the heart was a massive piece of information uh, and uh, in a foundational practice in my own journey, because in a field that overemphasizes the role of the brain or the mind, for me in a clinical training program that left out the rest of the body, I had come across the information about the body and the nervous system and these different states, as we talked about earlier, of stress-based reactivity. <clears throat> and I hadn't yet met 
information about the heart until I'm very grateful. I don't know if any listeners have ever read any of the work that comes out of HeartMath Institute. They do incredible research on the power of the heart and all that comes along with and the, the heart's really integral role in our human physiological body. And the main thing I learned was that while our nervous system and sending out you know constant energy to the world around us and receiving energy, it's how we know when we walk into a room without anyone saying anything that there's stress that has happened, an argument, right? We feel it. It's how we know when we, you know, come across someone who's having a joyful, wonderful day. There's a lightness about them. We're always kind of registering these unseen signals. The heart sends out those same signals at a greater distance. So it has more of an impact on others around us. And we're receiving more information from their hearts. And just as the body and the nervous system is sending information to the brain, which then our mind begins to use to color the way that we're seeing and acting in the world around us, the heart has an incredible ability to synchronize and to send information to our brain, shifting the way our bodies physiologically operate. And then, of course, shifting our ability to be more emotionally resilient. So learning that was, was half of my journey. Um, as I think all things, it was great, helpful information. And what I'd come to be aware of when I began or when I met that information was how disconnected I still was from my physical body. So I could not attune to my heart and how incoherent or stress-based the signals were that were coming from my heart because I was still operating in what I call all of those nervous system states that we explored earlier, I would call survival mode. I was still so stuck in survival mode, not yet fully tending to my physical body needs, not yet fully comfortable and able to reconnect with myself emotionally, let alone express it to the world around me and receive the support that I needed or the co-regulation. And as I began to then embody those, those choices of creating nervous system wellness so that I can be more calm and grounded and present to listen to what it is that my heart is saying, and then even more so courageously living from what I was hearing, what I really wanted, what I really needed. And that was one of the major um, practices that allowed me to get clear on this identity, this belief that I was going to be this traditional psychologist in an office still in Philadelphia, that it came to me that my passion was more of what I'm doing now, teaching, understanding this information, right? Putting this information out in a community setting so that others may begin to learn and use this information on their own journey. So really simply, I was able to, to attune to a purpose and a deeper passion that then I was able to make choices in alignment, in action to live in that way. So the heart for anyone listening is so incredible. It is so energetically powerful. It has such an ability to create physical and emotional wellness. Though I, I want to continue to emphasize it begins with first reconnecting with our physical body, making sure that we're learning how to tolerate stress or go from stressed to calm so that we can actually sit in stillness. Because I know for me, like probably many of you, sitting in stillness to listen to my heart. When our bodies are stressed out, the only messages that our brain is going to receive in that moment, which will probably be reflected in the racing thoughts that are telling us that we can't do this right now, is that it's not safe to turn inward because there's a threat 
outside that I need to tend to. So back to this idea that it's a journey and not linear. I want to continue to emphasize even hearing, oh, the heart is important and powerful. You don't feel safe in your body. If your body can't go from stress or upset back into peace and calm, though it can through these intentional practices, if you can't turn inwards in a moment of stillness, and it doesn't have to look like, this is another um, confusion, meditation doesn't have to look like sitting cross-legged for 5, 20, 30 minutes of time, right? We can be consciously present to our heart as we're going about our day-to-day actions, when we're not distracted by the clutter of our mind, when we're not too worried about the people outside of us, like we were talking about earlier, right? When we're able to be fully and consciously present in our body, feeling our body as we're going and in in interaction with other people, those are the moments that I'm talking about in terms of tuning into that deeper intuition. Even as you're describing it, I can begin to uh, feel how it should feel physically. (laughs) And it's making me think about when you're in a social event, And you're so nervous about what people are wearing, what people are saying, what people are thinking that you're probably fidgeting. You're probably going, shifting your weight from one leg to the other. And what I'm thinking is what, what it might feel like, and you can tell me if this is where I need to get to, is to be in that room with all of that sensory overload and to be standing planted, rooted to the spot and to not feel any of those things and to just be really open to listening to the person who I'm speaking to. And it doesn't mean that those things aren't there. Mm. Right. There are our, our thoughts are neural activity, right? When similar people, similar concerns pop up, that will happen. Though the ability to say, okay, I just had a thought about this person over there who reminded me of the scent over here of this person reminded me of this other person, or this is what I want to say in response to what this person's saying in front of me. They're, they're not done speaking yet. Mm. I'm grounded enough to say, okay, note it and back presence. And in our bodies, it can feel, and as opposed to that tension that I think so many of us live with, it can feel an ease about our muscles, right? Where we can feel our feet firmly, securely planted, you know, against the, against the ground or the earth beneath us, where we can breathe calmly and deeply from our bellies, where our heart rate isn't pounding out of our chest in that nervous anxiety, right? Where we feel alive, with energy. And I I love how you're even bringing up in conversation because this is, I think, one of the areas where we're so quickly snapped out of presence and into our own mind, our own often past cycles, emotional reactions. And then we start arguing, dominating the conversation, tuning out entirely, going away, as I used to say, on my spaceship. Uh, My partner very early on in our relationship, Lolly, would always wave her hand in front of me she was trying to tell me not even something stressful, something interesting that happened in her day. And I must've had this far away look in my eyes. She'd say, are you, are you here? Are you present? And it wasn't that I didn't want to be present. That was really an indicator of how detached and disconnected I had been. And I wasn't able to fully listen. And I think when we really talk about, you know, back to this idea of love, attunement, right, happens the ability to be curious and hear someone else's differing perspectives, their wants and their needs can only happen when we're in that calm, grounded state of presence, when our body feels safe enough to zoom out focus. Because when we're in survival mode, the most adaptive thing to worry about is ourselves and that is all, right? Mm-hmm. And so when we feel safe and we can even zoom out and say, oh, interesting, you're telling me a different perspective. I might not agree with it, 
I don't have to feel threatened by it in this moment. And I can be curious about why you think, feel, or whatever it is that you want in this moment. And that can only happen then that emotional attunement where I can see life or whatever you're describing as if I'm you, even though I'm not, when I'm emotionally attuned or when I'm present and able to shift out of how I feel in that moment and try on how you might feel. And that's, I believe, what so many of us are desperately looking for because we did not have that in childhood of no fault of our caregiver's own because they did not have the parent in their own past to teach them how. And so now it is really a learning that many of us as, a, as adults can do of how to be in that grounded state of presence. And I'm really glad that you mentioned that because it was something that came to mind when I was looking at the book, which is, okay, I now understand all of this about myself and how I'm showing up in relationships, but relationships are a two-way dynamic. And while I might be now hyper aware of my output, I'm probably not necessarily as aware as I should be of the input that I'm getting from other people. And I'm wondering if someone, and I hope you will do pick up this book, go and buy this book. If someone reads this and then wants to apply it, are there any techniques or methodology that you would recommend for really opening up those pathways of communication so that your learning doesn't hinder your communication or your relationship moving forward? The first thing I want to, I want to just say quite globally as an acknowledgement, and then I'll go into more of the specifics because I think a lot of us read books, have self-awareness, are on our journey wherever it is that we're on um, or wherever it is that we're in that journey of, of change. And we very well intentionally think or want to change those around us. So the first fact, again, here's fact, we can't change those around us. We can't control the input that someone else will give us in interaction and in dynamic and in conversation. Though what we can become more aware of is not only the dynamic or the environment we're creating for that person in terms of creating the safety and the security for them to fully express themselves, for us to have a conversation where we're listening to what it is they're saying instead of reacting to something right that is upset or stressed us out. We can also, and I have a lot of tools and you know, checklist type things in, in the book, we can become aware of what someone else's behavior might indicate in terms of where they're at between survival brain or calm grounded presence, if you will. Because what we can empower ourselves to do when we notice those around us screaming and yelling in what I call a rupter mode, right? An indicator of the fight response. They're feeling threatened and the way they've learned to gain some sense of security is by dominating, by controlling, by overpowering, sometimes by being mean. And this is, of course, isn't to condone abusive or violating behaviors. Though with that awareness in that moment, what I might be able to do is remove myself, stop the engagement, not just go head to head and start screaming things back because they said something that hurt me. If I can understand in that moment that they're having their own nervous system reaction and they won't be able to hear what I'm saying, even if I am in a common grounded state, I can create the safety and the security I need, return to the conversation later. Similarly, right? If I have maybe someone who's 
more of what I call a distractor. They always seem distracted. They change the topic from conversations that are maybe difficult or top conversations that challenge them. They always have to go tend to a work email when you are trying to have a conversation with them or they're zipping around the house cleaning and you know their attention is always distracted elsewhere. This is another area where I think we take it personally. We want to scream and yell, especially if we have an abandonment wound. Why aren't you listening to me? Isn't this conversation important to you right now? If we can understand that some of those behaviors might be indicating that for whatever reason, they don't feel safe in this moment, in this conversation, probably around things that predate even us, now we might have a different response available. Like me, many of you might have partners like me, a million miles away in a spaceship, completely detached. They're in physical presence, but you feel an emptiness, maybe even shocked me, Emma, when I got called by a colleague when I was in that psychoanalytic training program. She described me as cold and aloof. I I could have cried. I thought, well, at first I thought she was crazy. I said, right, I don't know who she's talking about because I'm not cold or aloof. Though I now understand why I had been experienced that way or like my family called had called me for decades. Nothing bothers me, Nicole. That's how they would kind of refer to me. This idea that nothing ever emotionally, even though emotionally I was a whirlwind inside, externally, I did present myself as on that spaceship, as cold, as aloof. So for many of you out there who have that partner, right, or that loved one who just feels a million miles away, maybe understanding, I share again, the indicators in others, or maybe you have the pleaser partner who's almost too much, too on top of you and tending to you and your wants and your needs. If we understand where those behaviors are coming from, now we could have access to different choices in the moment, which might include not allowing those behaviors. This is why relationships like ping pong balls kind of cycle through conflict because often what someone's doing to, to, doing to create safety for themselves internally activates our own nervous system reaction. And now I'm going to start to habitually do the thing, right? And so sometimes we have the person who's screaming and chasing, yelling, trying to gain connection. And that to me feels unsafe. So I'm running away, causing the chase to go on further. Then we have the two explosive individuals who are saying and doing terrible things, hurtful things. They don't mean to each other, but they're just both feeling threatened or unsafe in that moment. So we have access to different options, which include bringing back the power of the heart. The more calm and grounded we are, the more we're able to send those signals of safety, not only energetically through those unseen signals, though expressively through our behavior, not reacting when someone tries to tell us something difficult. I think so many of us, right? We want to be close. We want to hear what's really on your mind. And then this happens with parents too. And then the child or the loved one goes to tell them and they immediately react from their own upset based on whatever it was that activated it and what they heard. Their lack of control, their powerlessness. Someone shares an upsetting experience and they feel so overwhelmed by something similar that happened to them or by the helplessness they feel that they can't help you and solve your problem, right? That they now shift. So to create and to actually hear and gain the deep connection and authentic communication that we want, this is where we can empower ourselves because we can energetically create that. We can behaviorally create that where we don't just snap into an immediate reaction. And we can, as I was saying earlier, create the safety and the security for that deeper connection.
It's one of those things, Nicole, that when you, once you see it, you can't unsee it. I feel as soon as you understand this information, as soon as you take any of it on board, I I just don't think you can ever unsee it. So I do think you will be forever changed, but it will require work. I agree. It's so interesting to, um, what, something I, I typically and habitually now do is I'm able to see in others that I'm interacting with, not only just, you know, loved ones that I have continuous relationship with, strangers on the street, people on television, right? You can start to identify when they're having the person screaming in the grocery line right in front of you. You can begin to quickly identify when they're having their stress, a stress reaction, Mm -hmm. right? When something deeper might be going on. As I say, I talk a bit about in this book and in all of my work about the inner child, I tend to see people as little humans in a lot of ways in those moments reacting in these age old habitual patterns, as opposed to from a calm grounded adult state. And that is a very empowering awareness, not only for those moments where we're doing it, (laughs) we could have compassion for ourselves and then extend that compassion outward. Um, I think it, it really, again, unifies us as, as, a, as a collective that many of us are, are wounded and healing from generations that have come before us. And it's so empowering then to continue to watch, you know, movements where people are shifting, are changing, are using this awareness, are showing up in a more common grounded presence. And it's very inspiring. I think it's very interesting. I think we talked about the conversation around mental health really expanding in a really wonderful way. And also, obviously, when anything expands or goes viral, there can be parts of it that aren't so great. But I was talking to friends recently and we were saying, we all now really understand and are probably really open about the fact that we all have our own crap that we're having to deal with. And it's a sort of a choice that one has to make, whether one wears it or one deals with it privately or how basically how one goes about dealing with trauma bonds or the stuff that's gone on, the stuff that's wounded the inner child. And I just wondered if you could speak on that a little bit, because you have this book out, you have millions of followers, you res- your teachings, what you say resonates with so, so many people. So we're all going through this, but we don't have to be defined by it, do we? while still being able to do the work. What is so important is the first step is, as I was sharing earlier in terms of being conscious or present to it. And I'm intentionally making a distinction here, being present to it, the wounding, the hurt, the needs that were unmet, all of the fallout of all of the habitual ways that we've dealt with that for so long, which for a lot of us can be a lot of grieving, a lot of loss. I know for me and for many I've heard Oh my God, look at all this time that I've, I lost in relationships that I've caused damage to, right? Operating in this habitual way. Being present in the way that I'm describing now means not just thinking about it, being present to how it felt, right? All of the pain, the grief, the loss, the anger, the rage, you know, whatever it is, the shame that comes along with it. And then, Because again, some of us, I think in this space, just cognitively narrate our story in this more identity-driven way. Oh, this is what happened to me. But in that act of narration, I'm keeping it still at a distance. 
from the more visceral or physiological ways it's felt. So I think that's a big distinction to make in terms of not just wearing it as our kind of mind-driven, cognitive-driven, narrative-driven, even storytelling-driven identity and allowing ourselves the opportunity to eventually shed that identity, to feel it, right, as the saying goes, so that we can heal it ultimately. Another caveat here, um, and I'm bringing that first distinction in because something I noticed in a family that was not necessarily deeply emotionally or authentically emotionally connected because we didn't have that attunement. What we love to do was to narrate our stress, our upset. One of my family's mantras growing up, just something I would hear said, you know, over and over again, was it's always something, and that something being something stressful, something to worry about. And when it was something for whoever, whatever family member it was something for, it would be a point of hyperfixated conversation. Oh, we're worried about this. We're worried about that. We're worried about what happened last week. We're worried about what happened, could happen at the next medical visit. And it would be this shared point of connection. And what I noticed in myself then, I brought always something into all of my relationships. Whenever I would be out with friends for decades, I would be narrating the latest stress in my relationship, not even fully present. I had this jarring realization with one of my good friends. We've been friends now for over 20 years. And it's only until the past couple years that we've been able to develop a more authentic friendship, one where I am interested in what's going on in her life. Because historically, when we would hang out, it would be always something. I'd have some fight with some partner, some stress, something that I was upset about. And I would sit with, with this person, my friend, out you know, at dinner, at a bar, wherever we were. And I'd either be on my phone engaging in the argument, completely distracted. Oh, just one more second. I just have to you know, firing off text. Or my, my phone would be away and I would be narrating all of the endless somethings that I was upset about. So it's important, I think, to, you know, two things, to understand when narration of these identities becomes a point of connection, when we're not allowing ourselves to fully feel and allow these emotions to pass as they will so that we can process and move forward from them. Because on the other side of that is another version of that familiar and what I call emotional addiction where we become so familiar with the physiology, so to use that example for me, of the stress of something that I continue to recreate it, not only in the stories that I was telling, in the emotional experiences that now I was having with a person even outside of whatever it was that initially stressed me out. Just extending that web of stress because it was safe, comfortable, familiar, yep. and you knew it. Exactly. Um, I can't believe that we've hurtled to the end of our time together already. That went by in a flash, but as always is the case, I feel as though I've come away with, with so much. Um, so what I will do is I will obviously be putting the links to the book, all of the books, not just uh, how to be the love you seek in the show notes so that people can get their hands on a copy, which I really strongly advise that you do. And that comes listeners from a place of love, because I do think it is a really useful book. And I will also say that, Probably in the time since we last spoke, I have, as somebody who previously used to talk about these subjects quite a lot on the podcast, I had started to shy away because I had felt like I was platforming gurus who were offering 
advice to be parroted, not guidance with which to grow. And why I'm so glad that you're back on the show is that I really do feel that you are offering guidance. And I, it, it just every time I read any of your books, any time I look at any of your social media, I can't, they're so watertight. I can't find a hole in any of it. And I just think, God damn, that's useful. <laughs> well, thank you. And I'm truly honored to have been invited back for your you know, perception of me. I absolutely consider the reality that I am on this journey along with each and every one of you. Um, I don't, I mean, I will end even with this caveat. Don't just take, don't take it from me. You know, I really hope you see for yourself, maybe these habits and patterns in your own life, tune into your own instincts and inner knowing, because each and every one of you listening has that space within, is whole, is lovable, probably likely has had to adapt in all of these different ways and is so possible to empower yourself to create change. And if anything that I've said on this podcast can empower you on that journey, um, then I have done the service that I seek to do each and every day. Again, whether it's in my books, in all of the different social media community that we've now created, which I urge if you're interested in any of these conversations or in the community aspect, we have a beautiful community across even outside of the Instagram account now pretty much on any of the platforms, whether it's TikTok or Twitter X or YouTube or threads, there's some present presence of the holistic psychologist. And I not only urge you to visit that for this continued free accessible content, but for the beautiful other individuals who so graciously in the comments and sections of each share of themselves. And again, I think can help relieve us of the deep loneliness where we feel we're not, we're alone. I assure you, none of you are alone. Nicole, it's been an honor to speak to you again. Thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to that episode of The Ever Gun Show. I do hope you enjoyed it. I appreciate your time hugely. If you did enjoy it and you never want to miss an episode, then please do hit the subscribe button wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. It's also where you get the opportunity to leave a five-star review and a rating for how you feel about the show. And I'd be so grateful if you wouldn't mind leaving one. If you want to get in touch with me, email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Or you can DM me on Instagram and Twitter where I am at Emma Guns. If you fancy chatting to me and thousands of other fellow listeners of the podcast, then click the link to join the Facebook forum. The link to join is in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. You have to answer a couple of questions, but we cannot wait to see you there. Come over and join the conversation. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you on the next one. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.